As the spring season is now upon us, it can be an anxious time for many, as the fruits of our labour sit exposed to the elements as we approach the seasonal finish line. We can see the harvest on the horizon, but we're not quite there yet. What could possibly go wrong? Heat stress, moisture stress, and the dreaded F word, frost. At this time of year, it's all about being prepared. Hope for the best, but be prepared. Hi, I'm your host, Tanya Morgan, and on this episode of the Better Frost Decisions podcast, we have a great lineup of special guests, including our regular Peter Heyman, consultant and EP farmer Bill Long, Think Agri's Kate Burke, and farming system scientist from CSIRO, Julianne Lilly. We hope you can stick around and enjoy the show. Hi, Peter. Thank you very much for joining us today. Great to see you again as we head into spring. What's happening with the rainfall and the weather in general? And are we experiencing an El Nino? Yes. Uh, for a long time, there's been this discussion about El Nino and the Bureau of Meteorology is still on an El Nino watch. Uh, their watch is saying a 70% chance of us going into El Nino. So by their definitions, they're the experts. We're not in El Nino but we are more than likely to still go into El Nino. That doesn't change the quite dry outlook, the increased chance of dry outlooks for spring that they have for their for the outlook for most of Southern Australia, for the grain growing areas. So it's a dry outlook, an increased chance of a dry outlook, but technically we're still waiting to see. And when you go to their Climate Drivers site, they'll talk about this potential um, of things being triggered in the coming weeks again, but we've been waiting for a while for it, haven't we? For sure. I did see that they had released the Grain Outlook. It's a really handy tool for growers. I'd really encourage people to take a look at that. And within that, they were talking about frost predictions. What are they basing that information on? Is that based on historical data? Yeah. So what I was referring to was the Bureau's climate driver outlook. But in addition to that, the grains industry has these outlooks. And so Jonathan Howe, who's the meteorologist working um, as part of the agri-climate outlooks, produces this nice little summary of what's going on. And your question, is that information about frost just using the long-term records or is it using the forecasts? It's very much using the forecast. They're forecasting, um, I think, for Saturday night that it's quite, quite cold and we would expect frost in some frost-prone areas, well, the increased chance of it uh, will be a cold, clear night and we may get frost in, on, in those times. We've already heard that we've had reports of damaging frosts in the Air Peninsula and we've had quite a mild winter, so um, it's probably forcing the crops to mature a bit quicker than what they normally would in a really cold winter. How has temperature been travelling against the long-term average? So we're getting slightly warmer and some people had an earlier start than others. It was a bit patchy in, in places. Um, some people had quite an early start and crops were moving along there quite well. But yeah, I think we're, we're a bit warmer and good agronomy tends to be early and the varieties that people are using tend to be these fairly quick varieties. Many growers and agronomists would acknowledge that a lot of what we're doing as good agronomy is actually giving us perhaps an increase of frost risk. Frost in the first week of September are still not unusual, are they? I mean, we start in late September, October frost and so on are different to these. Um, I mean, we're still in August and in early September. These are still all random events, but it's not unusual to have some frost in the first week of September. No, that's for sure. So 
We're actually coming off of a week in Sydney. I managed to catch up with you last week for the RiskWise project where the national team all got together. We're talking a lot about risk and reward decisions. What do you think are the decisions farmers are battling with at this time of year in terms of risk and reward? Yeah, so at this time of year, perhaps some of them are, I mean, where we're, they're hoping for the reward, having taken the risks, haven't they? So in many ways, they've put their nitrogen out, they've sown their crops and so on, and they're it's, this is a difficult time, isn't it? When you are hoping for that spring to come through and this discussion about frost is a real issue. We, there was some interesting discussion about how the understanding that people might be using less nitrogen because of concern of frost, but what might some of that carryover of nitrogen be when we do have a frost? So we often talk about carryover of nitrogen from a dry spring, but what's the effect of a carryover of nitrogen when we get a frost? And we would suspect that a lot of that nitrogen would be carried forward to the next year, which still causes problems for cash flow, but doesn't mean all that nitrogen is lost. I think this, this risk-wise is this really interesting project that, like you say, was only launched. It's really good that MSF is doing that and having workshops with growers talking about their risk. GADC is very much directed risk-wise to come through the farming systems groups to be really uh, driven by them and to be learning about that. If there's one thing we know about risk matters with the local people and their knowledge and understanding of that, risk isn't something that exists in my spreadsheets. Risk exists on the farm in people's real lives, and we need to capture that. As you mentioned, there was a really interesting discussion about the sort of psychology and, and sociology of risk, as well as the more classical definitions of risk and so on that we might do in economics and so on. Yes, it was great to see a, a room full of farming systems groups and consultants there. It will definitely be a hot topic over the next few weeks. And and like you said, really just capturing what those risk and, re and reward decisions are for growers. And it may mean we're able to roll some work out in the region that, that maybe quantifies how much nitrogen is left after a frosty crop. But it, it will really come down to what the local grower groups um, want to know more about. Yeah, great to catch up with you again, Peter. We will keep in touch and follow the season along during this risky time of year uh, for growers, particularly in frost-prone regions. Yeah, we really hope that uh, frosts don't hit at the wrong time because it is, it is so hard when things are all set up. And so grain prices the way they are and everything else, there's the opportunities there. And certainly in some of the pulse crops, the prices are very good, aren't they? And a frosts are very costly in these situations. And that's and I guess when we talk about risk, what part of what risk means is that we don't know what's going to happen. What we can do is set ourselves up to to try and manage things better. But um I come on here a lot to tell you that I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, what we do know is the is that Again, we do have to be concerned that, that El Nino developing could mean a, a slight increase in the chance of frost um, under these conditions. Well, it's always good to be prepared anyway. So uh, thanks again for your time. Join us now as MSF's project manager, Nick Poultridge, catches up with farmer and consultant Bill Long about the frost events that took place in August on the Air Peninsula. G'day Bill, thanks for joining us. Whereabouts are you farming, Bill? Nick, we're farming on Air Peninsula. We have a property at Toology Hill and another one down at Cummins. And what stage are your crops at? It varies, but we, we had a good sowing opportunity quite early and we started our seeding program at Toology in late April. 
started sowing lentils on the hill yep. where, outs, where we think we're outside a frost zone because we have a bit of elevation, but we're certainly sowing into some frosty country further down the hill on a lease block that we have. And we've had frosts quite regularly over the last six or seven years through that region. There was a pretty major frost event in early August and while I don't have data loggers to say exactly how severe the event was, I think it got to sort of minus four, minus five degrees. Um, fortunately for us, most of our crops in that in our frost zones, in our known sort of frost zones, were still in a vegetative phase. In fact, the frost pattern that we experience in the block that we're farming that is in that sort of frost-prone area has been fairly consistent over the last few years. We've kind of been able to zone it up into um, the frost risk zones, you know, red, orange, green. And so we have some areas that we know we'll, we're pretty confident we'll get frosted most years. Fortunately for us, that block's into lentils this year and so there was a bit of vegetative effect but it was pretty minimal. But I know that there's certainly crops that were sown in that late April window that have been, like cereal crops, that have been affected through the region. So what's your feeling about frost in the next few weeks then, Bill? What's the window we're most concerned about yeah, now? Yeah, obviously, any time from now on. Like we've got crops in the late booting stage at the moment, early head emergence, and so a frost event, depending on its severity now, uh, could still cause a lot of damage to wheat and barley crops and to lentils that are beginning to flower also. So we're at a very um, sensitive stage and with the forecast that's, that we have, which is for a dry period, I guess that's when we, you know, we're more likely to suffer some extreme frost events. So we're quite nervous and quite aware of the risks and the risk window that we're in at the moment. Um, not much I can do about it, Nick. We, we just have to roll with that and, and hope like hell we, we don't suffer a severe event. But, you know, we plan our program around those frost risk areas. We do what we can to minimise it. There's not a lot you can do, but we are careful with our nitrogen management in those high risk areas. So we perhaps won't be quite as aggressive with our nitrogen inputs in those areas because the risk is very high that we'll get belted. And we've changed our approach. We tend to grow a bit more barley there than wheat, knowing that barley will probably tolerate a frost event to some degree better than wheat might. And we have staggered our seeding program a little bit, but I'm not sure that from a logistical perspective that's a difficult thing to do. Yes. We're at the block. We want to put it in and keep going. And we've, we've got blocks 85 k's apart, so we don't want to be trekking up and down the road trying to manage frost risk by changing our sowing dates it's kind of impractical so we just have to roll with it. We roll paddocks we put the flat steel roller over it just in case in those areas that we think are in a frost risk so that if we do suffer a frost event we are comfortable putting a machine into cut hay and try and recover some costs that way. I think some of our growers would be interested in hearing about sowing by the calendar rather than for rain. What have you seen over the years, Bill? I've seen a fair bit, Nick. I've been around a little while. I guess as farm size gets larger and larger, we're just more confident and we're able to control weeds with a range of herbicides and better rotations. We're just more confident to be able to dry sow the entire program these days. And so 
Yeah. Our approach now is to set our program around the last day that we want the crop in and we work backwards and we say, right, what resources we got? So when do we need to start seeding to enable that? That said, I still am reluctant to go too early. I still think the old rule of Anzac Day seeding start date is about right for us in our region and certainly that allows us to be finished to complete our seeding program by the 25th of May which I think is a reasonable time again in our environment to get the last of the barley program in the ground and kind of manage that frost issue to some extent. So it's all a compromise, all sort of gut feel stuff but no we're certainly confident to be able to dry sow our entire program. Thank you Bill, all the best for the rest of the season. Thanks mate. Our next guest Dr Kate Burke has written the book Crops, People, Money and You. She takes practical and pragmatic approach to farming, which is based on 30 years of experience as an agricultural scientist in the dryland cropping sector. She knows how to connect the dots of science, people and money. And Kate will also be joining our team of technical experts supporting the Better Frost Decisions Facebook group. She'll have some useful guidance on making tough decisions in the event of significant frost damage. Take a listen. Thanks for joining us, Kate. So good to see you here in Sydney. We're at the RiskWise project meeting and today you've been talking about crops, people and money and you, so that's your book. And it's very pertinent to what you're coming to the Mallee to talk to us about, which is managing the mind and money matters of frost. There's some really good things in your book that we can take from that and transfer to how we deal with frost. Tell us a bit about your book. Thanks, Tanya. And I guess the, the whole essence of the book is that in farming, we want to thrive. In People tell me they want to thrive, they want to make money, they want to leave a legacy. Yet in reality, it can actually be quite tough and it can be quite emotional at, at times. Yet we're not sort of delivered the skills to deal with that stuff we don't talk about. And in situations like a frost event or a drought event, we can actually manage these things pretty well if we do a bit of forward planning and scenario analysis and think about what are the possible futures. But we don't actually want to do that because we're trying to avoid thinking about it. So in the book, I talk a lot about managing the mind and managing ourselves and, and actually using what we can control to then manage the stuff we can't control. And so that's the sort of things I'm gonna talk about what I call our thinking landscapes. So, you know, just being aware of ourself and are we in our head and just going 100 miles an hour? Are we grounded where we've got a good grasp on reality, you know, but we're actually quite satisfied? Or are we in the clouds a bit and we're not quite being realistic? Or are we in the swamp? And, and a bit stressed about stuff. And so we can use that self-awareness then to then help manage get out of the swamp and be grounded. Your book, you've done a lot of research on it, but you've also worked with farmers and farming families for a long time. So how do you see farmers reacting when things go bad? What's, what, what's their usual go-to behaviour? Well, well, everyone's different, of course, and some will go to the fridge and, and probably shutting down is what I see most and, and a bit of disappointment. Some might vent anger. Usually, you know, you, as the aggro, you get the call to go out and have a look and assess 
the situation and you can just see this whirl of emotion going and there's something going on in that head that's difficult to articulate. It's a bit like grief. Everyone's got their own way of dealing with it. And people that manage to recover as much as they can financially seem to be good at making good decisions under pressure and being able to assess the situation with help of advisors and whatnot to then work out, you know, what can we get out of this and what we can't. Mm. Do you think that's something that comes with practice? I know that in the low rainfall areas where we've had a lot of frost, and particularly my region, a lot of the farmers, they get frosted, they're disappointed, they shrug it off and they move on because it's just such a frequent occurrence. It's expected. Do you see that sometimes these things can be worse where we don't come up against big challenges oh, like that? Absolutely. And, and each generation, so the first... Because we seem to attribute the success of a season with our success, mm. when in actual fact they call that um, over-attribution. In actual fact, it's got nothing to do with us. Well, we've done a fair bit right, but it's basically... You know, in this case, um, the weather gods weren't on our side on those particular days. So you've got a new generation and their first frost or their first drought, like they take that pretty tough. But people that are our generation, you know, we've got a fair bit of practice during the millennial drought and we've had a hell of a lot of practice with frost since the first whopper in 1998. What's your advice to people that can see other people struggling? Yeah, that's a really good good question. And I think creating an environment where you're just there to support them. So just being around people. And if you've got the sort of relationship, you know, to ask the are you OK question, I think that's that's fair enough. If you haven't got that relationship, you know, it might just be chatting to somebody close to that person and just letting them know that, you know, you're a bit worried about them. With frost and other really challenging agronomic issues, we tend to throw lots of agronomic solutions at people. We don't often touch on the human side of things. And I think that's one of the different things we really want to tackle with the frost extension project going forward is that we understand there's so much emotion that goes with frost and losing crops. We're really looking forward to having you in the Mallee in a week from now. Um, and there is a Better Frost Decisions Facebook group and it's there to roll out a frost response effort if we do get frosted in the southern region. We're really keen that you are willing and able to come on board and you'll be there to help answer questions and provide some advice. Yeah, absolutely. And it would be a privilege to be involved. My mantra is I just want people to live better farming lives and by getting better at managing all the stuff, the people stuff, as well as the agronomic and the money stuff, I think we, we all just have a better farming life and that's what I'm keen on. Absolutely. What more could you ask for? Thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. We'll talk to you later. My pleasure. Our final guest on the show today is Dr. Julianne Lilly, CSIRO Farming Systems Research Scientist. Julianne's been working on mapping tools for better identification of frost, and her project is helping support the development of these tools with major ag tech companies 
so that they are available to farmers as soon as possible. Julianne, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We've got you on the show today because you recently presented at the RiskWise National Project Meeting and you put up a really interesting slide. You showed that frosts in August and October are increasing and expanding. Can you explain that in a bit more detail? Because farmers have said that they're getting more frosts, but now there's some evidence to back it up. Yeah, so I think it depends where you are, but the maps I presented showed that in Western Australian cropping regions, the frequency of frosts is increasing. So it was comparing the 20 years before 2000 to the 20 years after. And the area affected by frost was expanding as well as the frequency of those frost events. But in other places in Australia, the climate's also becoming more variable and frost can reduce crop yield anywhere particularly if they occur during the really sensitive period when the crop is um, developing its yield. It's definitely a concern that we might be getting more frosts and of longer duration, whether it's a cyclic thing or, or what's behind that. We're not really sure, are we? No, so I guess that's part of understanding climate change and predicting the future. But yeah, it's just a more variable climate. I think it makes it clear that the work you're doing at the moment is really important for that reason. Yeah, so these decision-making products we're developing are based on the predicted effects of frost and heat on yield of wheat, barley and canola in the first instance, and then the work will continue on to look at chickpeas and lentils later on. And so we're developing risk maps that will assist in the pre-season farm planning and as well in-season decision-making. So we're working with developing tools that will help growers make those decisions. And we're working through ag tech companies who provide customised tools in their own platforms to suit the needs of their particular clients. So pre-season tools will enable growers to visualise cold temperature zones on their paddocks and plan out their decisions about crop choice, cultivar choice, sowing time, which sections of the paddock they will conduct different operations. And then in near real time, they could have tools that will help them make decisions about actions like cutting for hay or whether to invest further in the crop or not to put further inputs on, take it through to grain, those kind of decisions. Mm. And I think in the absence of having frost tolerance, uh, mapping tools or identification tools are going to be really important going into the future. What sort of data are they relying on? Where are you getting it from? Yeah, so that underlying process behind these tools is developing maps of the damaging temperatures using information we can get from satellites. So the Himawari satellite is what we're using in this project. But we're also taking an approach of measuring temperature on the ground in weather stations in the traditional way. So we have both kinds of temperature data and Developing maps of the historical temperature record will enable us to assess the risk of frost events. And then near real-time maps will show us what's just happened for in-season decision-making. And you said before you're working with ag tech companies to support the release of these tools into the marketplace. When are we likely to see something that growers can access? So right from the beginning of the project, we've been working with growers and consultants to design what tools they need. And then that information is being used by the CSIRO team and ag tech companies to design tools that will work in their platforms and help the growers with the decision making. 
And the temperature mapping products are currently being tested with some growers right now by the ag tech companies. And they'll be launched in 2024, so next year. And the pre-planning decision products, they're due for release in 2025 for wheat, barley and canola and for chickpea and lentil in 2026. Great news that they're so close to market too. We'll be watching on with interest. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. That brings us to the end of the Better Frost Decisions podcast for September. Thanks for sticking with us till the end. And for more information on what you've heard today, make sure you take a look at the Better Frost Decisions newsletter that's also available online. The link is available in the show notes. If you're a farmer, all the best for the rest of the season. We hope that it's smooth sailing as we head into harvest. But don't forget, we're here if you need us. Make sure you join the Better Frost Decisions Facebook page for more information as the season unfolds. We'll see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by the GRDC Investment, applying current knowledge to inform grower decision-making to mitigate the impact of frost now and in the future.